Hello and welcome to the pod of never. I'm your host, Matthew Nanez. This is your first time listening to the show. Welcome. My goal of the show is to have conversations with artists and professionals and learn about their origin stories and processes and how they create and share their work. This episode is close to my heart. Today, I talk with one of the longest friends I've ever had and former bandmates. First in our high school band, My White Room, and then Thieves of Verona, and then finally with Gaza. My guest today is Casey Hansen of the band's cult leader in Sympathy Pain. In cult leader, he plays drums and is one of the most skilled, creative, and absolute brutal drummers I've ever played with in my life. But on the flip side, He's one of the most amazing musicians with an ear for beauty and melody with his band Sympathy Pain. In our conversation, we talk about how growing up in a musical religious family shaped his love for music, finding like-minded musicians in a small conservative town, and the importance of roles in bands. We have a lot of fun in the episode, so I hope you enjoy it. And if you stick around, you might just hear some music from our first band, so make sure you listen all the way through. But before we get into it, some shameless self-promotion. I just released a demo for our musical project, Swans and Never, on Bandcamp called Bless This Mess. If you like what you hear on Bandcamp, donate a dollar or two. It really helps me make it possible to keep my creative projects like the music and the podcast going. And now, on to the show. What, what kind of phone do you have? iPhone. Oh. Like an iPhone 8 or 10 or whatever. So it's not like, I know one of the channels on my speaker, because I was like a left or right channel. Like I know one of the channels is getting kind of crapped out. Because mm-hmm. I'll listen to the Beatles and like, because the way they mix their records, like oh, a snare drum would be completely in the left channel. And it's just like <laughs> sucked out. Interesting. So I don't know if it's the, I don't know if it's the phone or just me. It, being in, deaf now. in your more uh, adult years of playing music, uh, have you been wearing earplugs? Or I know with vocals, it's kind of a different. No, but I, d- but I don't play as much as you, like as far as shows. Sure, sure. Go. Sure. But um, I like whenever I practiced when I still had the band back in Utah, like I never warm just cause I started to near the end, but that was like two or three practices. And so now when I'm like recording, it's like, I don't want to put on he- like I can monitor myself, but it doesn't feel as good. <laughs> when I don't like it. Yeah. It's, it's awful. It sounds like, yeah, I, I, uh, about when was it? I, I, probably 2010 I started wearing them actually and I don't know when I started actually I just remember that uh there was a time I don't I don't have to go time and place but it's just interesting like the uh the things that are so crystal clear sometimes in our memory Mm -hmm. but like I remember it was a we were playing a 
show in Louisville. Doesn't I don't need to mention that it was with Converge, but it was with Converge. It was a weird mm-hmm. show. <laughs> uh-huh. But I like I I I've lost my earplugs like right as it was like time to go. Yeah. And so it was just like, okay, whatever. I used to do this. It's fine. And it was so miserable. Like, so I, I remember wow. when I realized that playing without earplugs was a nightmare, but I don't remember when I started wearing them, but it was around that time. And I'm yeah. just glad that I started then. Because, uh, I, I mean, yeah, if I went 10 years playing that many shows at that volume, I would, I would be gone <laughs> in my ears well, for sure. Well, like decibel volume and the volume of which, like how many, like you were playing to. Uh, yep, it's mad. So, and it's and it's it's interesting because like um, so Ricky, the drummer for me without you, mm-hmm. he started having some serious problems mm-hmm. with hearing, and so um, I mean they were they were trying to wrap up. I don't know if you heard my last podcast with their manager, but they were trying to wrap up the band this year, and then like COVID happened, right? But a big but a big part of it was like Ricky could couldn't like barely do it anymore because a like he was having some neck issues because like he like goes I don't know if you've ever seen him drum but he goes pretty hard and and his hearing was starting to go away too so like the last time I saw him he had like the big old closed um like he still played great you know he was still like into it but you could tell that he was like pushing pushing through it well, and it's 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 like a like a snowball effect kind of thing too like you know there's a point where you get hypothetically i don't actually know this fortunately but like firsthand anyway but there's a point where hypothetically you can have so much hearing damage that you need high volume in order to hear anything and so you just keep digging that hole so i, I wonder if those like headphones exactly what they were there it's probably that my guess is that um, like anything else in life uh, there's wear and tear but it's specific to uh, the most common frequencies so I wonder if his like headphones were like a special delivery system that could deliver the EQs that he could actually hear so it didn't have to be high volume while protecting from just like the really raw crazy volume i i don't know i'm I'd, well i think well, i think what he did it was like like those uh um you know air not airline but like the the ones that you would wear if you were working at an airport oh yeah like yeah, the yeah, gun yeah. The, like the gun ones or whatever yeah. so he had that but he put his in-ears inside by that so he's blocking everything out and then like just hearing like whatever mix that he has yeah Cause I think he was just using wedges the whole time. Yeah. It's so I, I, we, we've recently started doing like more pro like, uh, monitors. Yeah. We, we, we've been bringing Wes Johnson with us. He has his own studio in Salt Lake, by the way, archive recordings. He recorded our, uh, cult leaders first, uh, release. I don't know if it's an EP or a full length. That's a weird length. Um, but he, he started traveling with us to do, uh, room sound and monitors and so i've had a better chance to like dial in uh but one of the things he brought was an in-ear rig it was a cheap rig but like 
it's, I didn't used to get it when I was young or, um, like how finicky people would be about their stage sound and whatever. But at a certain point, maybe, maybe it's the part of partially like the ear damage and part of it is just like, I don't know if it's being more professional or anything, but like I need sound. Well, okay. I haven't, I haven't thought thought this through it. I'm thinking about it in real time. (laughs) What it is, is uh, we have, in order to make certain parts work, we have to have like real time looping. And I'm not uh, a metronome. Maybe some players don't need to hear the loop that their guitarist sets in order to play on time. Mm-hmm. I don't know who they are, Josh Fries playing with, because uh, also the person playing guitar has to be basically a metronome and they have to they need to be on time, they have yeah. to make their stomp on time too so it's there are a lot of moving parts where it can get off so i need i need to hear now and just like getting that dialed in so that i can hear everything in the levels i need to hear but always 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 be able to hear guitar enough that even in the mix and my own playing and blah, 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 that i know where I am because he can't change his loop. But anyway, like I've, I've been trying all these different things. Like I've learned that having a wedge and in ears is nice. Um, Cause you can feel it. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and it, and it has a way like the, I don't know if I'm using this word right, but the, the ambience of like the room and the stage amps and the whatever kind of filters through and feels a little more live. So like, I basically like dial in a different mix in my wedge as I do with my in-ears. And I, I put one ear plug in for my monitor and then I have a mm. inner in my right ear. And so I can like, with more practice, I can kind of tune into one ear over the other when I need something different because they're both different sounds. But I don't know if I'm like screwing my ears up like it. <laughs> doing that because now i'm there's a um a bifurcation i guess in terms of how the frequencies are being hit on different ears it doesn't matter (laughs) (laughs) nerd talk yeah well like i mean i kind of i kind of like having these kind of conversations too um because like some some conversations i have with people like i talk about kind of this inside baseball type of conversation or like marketing and music like you're not a marketer but what are you doing you know yeah. like what are you struggling with so like just having this sort of conversation i think is is good like less on the biography and more on the the nuts and bolts i do think biography is important to understand like where a person comes from but i don't like to i, I try not to spend too much time on it but i do want to spend some time with it with you because i think well because what we'll think like just our like our shared story oh yeah 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 (laughs) yeah like and just because um i mean i I think we can start in earnest now but um because we both more or less grew up in northern utah north of salt lake city about 35 minutes north in uh, in the clearfield uh syracuse area Mm -hmm. not quite ogden and um even even now it's a pretty um red <laughs> uh conservative area and so uh you and i both have slightly different backgrounds i i grew up mormon 
uh, to a to a point until I moved to Utah. Funny enough, um, <laughs> but but you grew up you like you are grew up true yeah. LDS, yep. right? And so, considering where we are now, like you are in, you know, a, a respected, aggressive, hardcore metal, whatever you want to call your band, like, and you know, I took the path I took, but there's, but then you have people like Mike in, in Cult Leader. He grew up in the same area, and just like so much talent, yeah, that grew up in that area. And so, what even attracted you? to music in the the first place um well that's an issue I, oh so my family is very musical that doesn't mean i have to take to it so i'm kind of like thinking through two different related things at the same time but um i, gr I grew up in a very musical household um my biological mother uh was in the mormon tabernacle choir she was uh she ended up dying this isn't especially related but ended up dying driving to perform uh in mm -hmm. the mormon tabernacle choir um and i, I say that just because like that's kind of where it starts she also played guitar um and piano and her family uh, had their own like singing group. I think they were called the Scott Sisters, but I need to check um, since I learned early that family might not be as I, I shouldn't say this because my family's great. But when you decide at an early age that the church that you're born and raised in that is the undercurrent and the um, ubiquitous uh social grounds uh of everything around you you yeah i i, I realized at a very young age that um it was going to be different for me and if i wanted to live authentically then i had to be prepared to have a different relationship with my family i.e um mm. distanced but they're great i um and i was wrong in that assumption and I've just developed bad habits, but now we're on another topic. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, she, my mom was in a, a, a singing group with, with her sisters, my aunts. Uh, and then when I was growing up, finally getting to me, uh, we did Christmas caroling. I have uh, six siblings, five older, or five elder, older. And uh, so when we were caroling, I was the youngest one, essentially. Um, but... Uh, some of my earliest memories are either caroling or not caroling. Like I, I, I'm right now having this memory of staying home because I had chicken pox. Um, and I think that might be my first memory of caroling is not caroling. <laughs> but um, so I think well, I was, yeah, probably caroling before I remember. Um, when I was eight, we got uh, choir chimes, which are kind of, um, they're basically uh, tuning forks that have been developed. So instead of being essentially a, a 2D object with the prongs and the little thing, it's more of a dimensional object with um, like a resonance chamber in the middle. It's more like an elongated cube or rectangle. And there's, there's a hammer on that uh, kind of in the middle 
on a fulcrum. And so you uh-huh. just strike it like that. And it's just this like little rubber mallet that hits the tuning fork. It had a, it comes in this uh, big suitcase that has a, I guess it's technically three octaves, but it's really two octaves. It's C, 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 and then everything in between. And we would do these um, renditions of uh, different Christmas songs with the bells, with the choir chimes. Um, most often Silent Night and uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Although when we had a lot of people in the family and everyone was old enough to like be starting to get proficient, uh, we did Carol the Bells and we did a couple of other things. And we just go around the neighborhood and um, just go into people's homes and uh, do that. And when I was young, I thought it was the dorkiest shit. And <laughs> took me a, a few years. Um, but eventually it was like, even though I'm at, at bare minimum, and it, uh, and it, very, I feel very strongly about secularism. Um, and stronger, but we don't need to get into that. Um, there's, there are larger things than our, uh, sociopolitical or religious differences. And even though, you know, I was just singing songs and I was disconnected from the Christ, like the doctrine, I guess, um, people were really touched by that. Um, and it, it, became something I, I, uh, cherished, um, in that time amongst all that, um, I started taking piano lessons. Uh, every one of my older brothers or sisters was in at least band or orchestra, often choir. Um, my older brother was like just a, just a fire pianist, uh, like, in high school, he was just like ripping out like Scott Joplin. Like he, he played Scott Joplin every day. Um, and just like, it was nothing like that was his warm up. He had to start taking yeah. lessons uh, about 50 miles away because he couldn't find anybody that could teach him anything. Um, so it was just around is the, is the short way of putting all of that. Um, but I don't know. I mean, especially like in, in our adolescent years, I think we're either consciously or subconsciously looking for something to just grab a hold of and that makes us feel a certain way or gives us community or, um, and I, I, I ended up latching onto some stuff in seventh grade and like, I was just obsessed with the music I was into. And a couple of years later, I had an opportunity to like a, k- a kid that I was in a uh, band with was like, Hey, she come to this birthday party with this, for this kid. You don't know. Uh, he's, he lives across the street from me. He's my best friend and he plays guitar and I play, he's saying this. I didn't play drums at the time really. Um, and he was like, yeah, just come over. Like we'll run through some stuff. You can do vocals. Like it'll be fun. And so I was like, okay, whatever. And we ended up doing Blind by Corn, and uh, I was, yeah, I did vocals. And it was just like the second it happened, it was just like, uh, life-changing doesn't seem to do it justice. Um, 
it just yeah. felt like the second that happened, it was like, oh, okay, so I'm doing this forever now. Whatever that means, yeah. whatever it. Um, now, how one does this forever is a, that branches into a billion different things because I don't do vocals anymore. It's pretty short lived. Um, I learned how to play drums because I had to play music. And, and I, I joined another band like a couple months later, and our drummer for the summer left town. So we didn't have a drummer. So we had a heavy band, you know, a bunch of like, 12 to 15 year olds um, yeah. that didn't have a drummer. So it's just like, Gotta have a drummer. yeah, you can't have a heavy band without a drummer. Like that's maybe like if there's one thing you have to have, um, maybe now with, you know, the, uh, how easy it is to access like drum machines and whatever, it's a different story. But in the year mm-hmm. 2000, uh, when there was still Netscape and AOL and you know, no cell phones, basically, not in my life anyway. Um, it just wasn't a thing. You just had to play music and it had to be real. So I learned how to play drums and here we are. But um, yeah, roundabout way. I'll, always been around. And the second I got to do it the way that I wanted to do it, it was just, yeah, life changing and life ruining because there's, 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 there's no, it's not a path. It's not. It's not a way to find stability or security. In fact, you can make an argument. It does the exact opposite of all of those things. Um, and so I'm, you know, here I am 35 and uh, been going to school when I can. And I might be going back this fall. That's what I've been working on today. My third or fourth major change. Like, <laughs> yeah. like I don't know. It's, it's wild. But anyway. Well, I th- I think when that like happens to you, when, you know, the first time like three instruments played loudly at the same time happens and you're just like, holy crap. Like that just does something weird to you. Like for me, it was like learning an Everclear cover with some like kids on Hill, Hill Air Force Base, you know, and all of a sudden like, here I am like to my family's chagrin i'm still recording music in my bedroom at 35 you know like it's just like it's just something that doesn't leave you like at all you know like at least if it's like if it rings true you know yeah because like i don't think you and i are going to be those people you know when we're 50 or 60 like i think we're always going to be doing something or at least like i hope so you know like at one point it's like oh what am i doing i'm 30 like at least like five years ago i'm like what am i doing but then i'm like you know what no <laughs> just i'm gonna do it just because i like right it, you right know? and that's all that all that matters and so uh, uh, uh questions you know you you bringing up uh you you knew kind of early that you were going to be like out of step you know with the with your family's like you know faith you know or the way you were you were living so what came first was it feeling like that it wasn't for you or the music because sometimes like at least for me like or you hear some stories like oh like i was living this certain way but then i listened to punk rock and it started changing my mind about things no i i i never i don't know how to explain it i didn't have a conscious like awakening uh in terms of like where I felt like I was uh, diverging from what my family and community expected of me. Mm. Uh, I just always kind of 
didn't subscribe for better and for worse, you know, like, um, yeah. So some of that, I, I, I still back and endorse and some of it is just like, just go to school, just do well in school. Yeah. What, what are you, what are you accomplishing by not, you know, I, I'm a high school dropout for anyone that um, <laughs> needed that, that piece of information. Um, but like, I, you know, some of the things were valid and some weren't. Um, I, I, I still remember, uh, you know, when you're younger, you know, it seems like the younger you are, the more likely it is to do this, but you like, you fake being sick to stay home from school, uh, or whatever. And like, I did that for church so I could play Joe Montana football on Sega Genesis. And like, I, I just never, it never made sense to me, um, personally. Um, and the unfortunate thing is, you know, it doesn't have to be explicitly stated. Um, and I can't, I can't speak for other situations, other communities. Uh, but where I grew up and in my situation, it felt like implicitly I had to walk away from everything because it, yeah, it's just kinda it was it everything yeah. kind of. Yeah. Um, and again, I, there were some, some misreads in there, but, um, yeah, I, I would say it was there before the music. The music just kind of gave it like throwing gas on it. It's like, <laughs> yeah. And and what I liked it already was like about as far removed and like oppositional to everything that um, right. the culture that I was raised in was about. So it just. <laughs> You're not going to play Life is Peach at your family home. Either. No, I'm not going to play it <laughs> audibly anywhere. Because uh, if, if, as much as I'm, I'm making myself out to be like this, like crazy rebellious teenager, I just wanted to be left alone. Like I, I was not antagonistic. I did not like rub anything in anyone's face. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. And that, I mean, that's, that's plenty to cause conflict. Um, but yeah, I, I just wanted to do my thing, but you know, the, the, res- the degree to which it took hold of me is, uh, y- you can't remove that from, I guess the rebelliousness aspect of, um, yeah. where you come from or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. Cause I feel like our like circle, cause like we didn't go to junior high together, but like we knew mutual folks. And, you know, I feel like people like us who are either getting into, uh, you know, metal or punk or, or hardcore, you know, we all had our backgrounds, we all had our stories, but especially those of us who played music, like that, like that was rad, like to see, you know, like, like the band you're in scabies, you know, the punk band I was in and then the, you know, other stuff, you know, I was, I was into, and I feel like once you find like your people, like yeah, I'm going to play music with this person because they get it. Yeah. Cause like, cause I felt like when I met you, you know, you were playing in this like crust punk band, but when I started talking to you, it was like, okay, like this dude, like, Hey, loves music. That's like, that's a no brainer. But the way you thought about music was like really fun, you know, to, to be around. And you could say that about a few more people that we live with. We just all just kind of, uh, not live with you know what I mean. Like grew up, grew up with. Hall. We didn't. Have, it wasn't. It wasn't the real world. Hall. We didn't live in the same apartment. It's all about B Hall. <laughs> yeah, B Hall. Yeah, um, Clearfield High. 
uh, represent. But um, but I, I just think, you know, we all had our own stories and our own uh, things that attracted us to music or the rebellious side of it. But when you find that group of people and start creating music, I mean, we had our our first band that we had together, My White Room. Uh, well, so Aroko Saki. Aroko Saki <laughs> was the progenitor. You're right. You're right. Uh, maybe I'll throw in a little treat and put it into my my white room. So oh, at the end of wow. this, this is okay. So I want to I want to mention a couple things. This is just kind of weird that this is happening right now because uh, I don't know if I should. Blake from Pig Destroyer just like messaged me on Facebook Messenger and was just like, "Hey, I'm writing a piece for so and so, and tell me about your high school bands." And so I've like already been thinking about this, and then. We're talking. I, it's just kind of weird how that happens. But if he wants a if he wants an MP3 file, I can. Send I I uh, so I'm still playing music with Skylar, um, mm-hmm. and I was over there and I found in a stack of CDs the My White Room demo because I don't I don't I didn't even have one anymore. So I, I now have a copy of the Colosso awesome. demo. Um, I was going to quiz you if you remember. Oh yeah. What it was oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I. Something I wanted to touch on was this topic, and I think it's, I don't know, I think it's important and cool in a lot of ways, but, like, growing up, there's an aspect to it that's, like, growing up and being a total amateur and just being in love with playing music, and then there's an aspect of, like, not knowing who to play with. So, like, those years are so wild and fun and strange because you just like you're just looking for anybody to play with that has any kind of proficiency and like that's that's like the number is this can this person play at all and like tastes are secondary and you just figure it out as you go but like uh like i i wanted to play with you uh specifically because you there the, the 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 pool was not too deep (laughs) um of people that could like hang and i didn't and don't even still necessarily consider myself this great player but i i just i didn't know who to play with like scabies kind of happened kind of birthed out of this like one-time corn cover band where all the pieces moved around and the demo- the democratic process of that led to it being a, a punk band um after a- a- anyway um but punk wasn't really my thing musically um mm-hmm. it was a little too like uninteresting like it wasn't it didn't have enough like change ups or like out of the i i love being caught off guard i love feeling a little disoriented and like punk doesn't do that it's just like yeah which is cool it has a definitely has value but like when i was in scabies we we created that because we were a hodgepodge of people brandon was a grunge head most stuff you listened to was nirvana and jake loved rancid and was going down the street punk route and dustin just loved everything uh and i still i was transitioning from a new metal kid to an emo kid playing drums in a like a i don't even know what we started becoming a crust punk band but for a while we were just a weird punk band 
like flipper, but fast. Um, which in hindsight, like back then I was just like, yeah, I don't know if we're a good band, but we're having fun. And now in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, we were a sick band. <laughs> like it was a ridiculous, uh, ridiculous fun band. But, um, yeah, I, while I was playing in that band, I was, you know, I kept, I was keeping an eye out cause it wasn't quite there for me. And you were all like mm-hmm. the second I like started like observing you it was just like, okay, this person gets music, knows how to play music, like is interested in stuff that I'm like increasingly getting into. I don't know how this would like manifest or whatever, but like you have to, you basically scout people and yeah. you hope that the, the stars align and that you, we start playing together. But it took uh, almost two years. I think we met mostly in journalism class. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. It was about a year. It was the end of 11th grade when we did a Rokosaki and yeah. I started journalism junior year after 9-11. Um, and then we started, we, we had an opportunity to actually like get to know each other. And I, I remember you like, kind of like, you, you talked about like meeting me and being kind of like about me. Cause I, I, I remember like you asking me certain questions about certain bands and it, and it seemed kind of like, I want to know more about that. I'm like, that I'm like prodding. Yeah. So maybe I'm not prodding, but like, I'm fig- maybe I'm trying to figure maybe it out. Maybe we were both scouting each other, I guess, but. Cause it's always good to have when the pool's that shallow, you just got to know who can play and you'll figure it out as you go. Um, but yeah, I, that, but that kind of stuff is really important you, as you get older and you get more refined and you get to choose the people you, that you associate with. And, you know, if you're lucky, you've established yourself in a, to some degree where, you know, your work speaks for itself and you don't have to like, do what you have to do at the early stages it it makes it kind of sterile makes the process kind of like you can just choose what band you want to be you can pick your musicians Mm. whereas in those days it's just chaos it's just pure like (laughs) oh this person's good at guitar we have nothing in common great which is how uh, i met mike (laughs) yeah uh he just was this kid that was like one social group removed from mine and ours and we just kept hearing this rumor these like whisperings of like this total virtuoso um and finally like was hooked up with him but he was like into van halen and incubus and dave matthews dave matthews and john, john mayer. mayer i remember like listening to john mayer in his car yeah and and that's tight. I think the first song he learned how to play on guitar was under the bridge by red hot chili peppers. And he did it just sitting there. He just picked up a guitar and just said, I want to learn this song. And he just figured it out. Um, which, and then, you know, when, when I met him, like we didn't have anything in common musically, except that by the crashing into things process of being in junior high and high school and playing music, you just play everything and see what sticks. And he, his path was totally different than mine. So he's shredding. And so, the, yeah, the two things that we jammed on were uh, Incubus, because I was coming out of that phase, but still, like, looking back, I'm like, yeah, Incubus. I don't know. That's so cool, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And Thrice, because Thrice was, like, Illusion of Safety had just come out and was, like, kicking. Uh, and he had, it had found his, its way to him. 
And I was so like, those were the two things we jammed on. But outside of that, we didn't have any commonality. Like our personalities are completely inverse. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I guess what I'm getting at is I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have done what I've done uh, if not for that process in high school um, as it still lives on today because you were also in Gaza for a while and yeah. you were all in Thieves of Verona and like but I'm still playing with Mike you know it's just yeah. that stuff is, is wow. I, I, I can't let go of that because that, that kind of stuff is special it's like that the magic of um, happenstance that we, I feel like whatever it happens, you just cling to it because anything that you can get on purpose, you can get on purpose. You can get it anytime. If things fall yeah. out of the sky and they're like great, like cherish it, especially if it's something that like would otherwise be someone out of like your wheelhouse or your comfort level or whatever. Like we need that kind of variety. And yeah, Mike, I mean, as, as much as anything else, and I'll end with this, Mike uh, is just a genius. Like, he's talented, but he's just talented. Like, if you learn how to be disciplined in how you learn, um, it, like, having a methodicism to what you do, discipline, like, focus, all those things that we know are good things, you can be good at so many things. And he is just he is the most incredible brain of anyone I will ever know. And I know that for certain just by yeah. odds. Cause he just like has grinded his way into being an incredible, like engineer and mathematician. And like, he probably wouldn't call himself a mathematician cause he knows what a mathematician is. I've seen his notebook, but he, he just, he does, <laughs> he's a mathematician. Does it on his own, like did it on his own. Like it's just, incredible so of course being good at guitar is a thing for him it's tertiary at that point yeah maybe i mean i'm not sure maybe. i'm not sure well, who's to say like back then yeah, yeah i'm not i'm not sure what comes first or second it's just who he is yeah. and i i admire it so much well and especially like syracuse utah no one knows what like who knows like you not reaching out because you heard like I mean, Gaza would not have happened. Cult leader wouldn't be here. You know, us playing in Thieves of Verona would wouldn't wouldn't have happened because we we heard these <laughs> we heard these rumors and you went and checked it out. And so it's just crazy happenstance, fate, whatever you want to call it. So uh, I think like both for both of us, like our first taste of like how you know how the sausage is made music wise, I think is in my white room because then we started booking shows uh you know we we were trying to open for touring bands which we did you know um a couple of times uh i remember one in particular we opened for anatomy of a ghost wait was uh, that was that my weight room or was that that was or it was because i remember Verona. the flyer it was it was it was limbeck and because i remember wait, anatomy days. of a ghost was on that show yeah limbeck and anatomy of a ghost yes which now is portugal the man <laughs> uh I didn't even know that. Like I didn't even remember that they were on that hill. Yeah. I remember Liz. I remember. I remember the flyer. It was, a, it was a flyer of Dave, our, our singer and guitar player. For those who don't wait, know, he was on it with sunglasses. That serious? Yeah, I'm serious. For the Limbic Anatomy of a Ghost show? 
Did, did yeah. we get headlight or something? No, I think Limbeck did. Or is it just chaos? It's just like... <laughs> <laughs> okay Limbeck did cool. but um, that being said like that was like our, our first taste of like dealing with like promoters and the, the biz you know, booking like did you feel like you were getting an education back then or like okay this is this is serious I like doing this or um, like that side of I, it what did you think of that side of it when you started I, I don't know that I being in contact I don't it? know that I thought of it in those terms then just kind of like rolled with the punches and just like, Oh, this is what it is. And I'll just like, I didn't conceptualize or strategize or philosophize as much of it. It was just like, I don't know. I'm in this weird band. Uh, we play these, sh- that will take care of. Yeah. It. We'll, we'll, we'll play these shows. It'll be whatever it is. Um, and so when did, th- when did that get real for you then? Probably thieves. Um, because yeah. I mean, my Right Room was a fun band. It ended in a way it should have probably. Like how long we did it, when we decided to call it, it, it was like, okay, that's done and over and it's okay. Um, but from, I don't want to call that a failure, but let's just use that term or that concept. Uh, when that falls apart, it like, I don't know. It kind of like gives you an impetus to take up new things, uh, be more proactive, uh, essentially learn the lessons from the previous thing and bring it to the next thing. And uh, I remember in my white room, I wasn't allowed to edit the page because I was, um, <laughs> I would just say crazy weird shit, but that, I mean, but then we let Dave do it and, I remember one time he posted something on the website that was just so whacked and just like dog shit. I don't remember what it was, but it was just pure uh, insanity. And this was after I was not allowed to edit the webpage. And I remember saying to you, like, you see this? Nah, I'm not, I don't hold a candle to this, (laughs) whatever it was. Um, but yeah, after that, it was kind of like, okay, well now Matt and I are the, like the consistent piece moving into this next project. Um, I, I'm a bit, I'm a bigger believer in this next project. So yeah, I'm just gonna have to shoulder more weight and, and, and I feel more confident about both my playing ability and the quality of the band. There, there's an aspect to me where like, I don't want to push all in unless I feel good about something. And my white room yeah. and scabies too, always just kind of felt like, I don't know. We're just like sloppy teenagers doing some shit. And like Thieves of Verona felt like the culmination of all of the lessons learned, all of the relationships forged, like, both interpersonally and musically, it's like we had all the pieces. We had a greater idea of what we wanted to do and we had the ability to do it finally. So then it was, that was as much a governing principle as anything was like, oh, this is ready. This is ready to be seen and like I can back it and like this is no longer just some stuff happening. Like this is something I believe in. So if I want it to go where I 
where it, where it can go, uh, then yeah, let's get into it. Let's start booking shows. Let's start making like, I don't know. I don't want to say networking and I, and I don't, it's weird. Like you have to be proficient at the business side of stuff, but like, it's also like you want it, to, you want music to stay pure and all of the effort that goes into it to be in service to that. So I, I don't know how to strike that balance, except that if you want to play music and you want to have like, you want to reap the rewards, you want to continue to do it. And like, you have to, at some point, learn how to run an operation or, or at yeah. least know your role within it and take care of your duties. Well, I, I think the idea of roles are so important um, because, I mean, I went ahead and, and ruined the thieves, uh, <laughs> the, the thieves experience and I, I quit and moved on to day two you know, to tour right away out of high school. But within that, like I was immediately booking tours, like talking to promoters, X, Y, Z. And I was like that person in that band, which is whereas bullshit. Go ahead. That's what do you mean? That's bullshit to grab. <laughs> the new kid and be like, okay, now book our tours. Like, I, 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 I'm, I don't think they said that, but if that's what it is, what though, <laughs> but, but the jokes on them, if I suck, yeah, right, right, <laughs> right. Which I didn't, I no, did not suck. No, at there's it. no way. But, but, um, but I'm glad, you know, like I was able to find that role because I'm leaning on those experiences still, you know, when I'm like, if, if it comes up for some reason, it comes up a lot in my interviews as far as what makes me different, but really like being in the DIY, like doing things yourself, like that's such, it, it, it makes you who you are. And then, you know, from these of Verona, you know, Gaza happened, you know, I was in Gaza for a bit, but then Gaza started touring a lot more too. And so what did you feel like as far as in that band? And if it crossed over to cult leader, like what was your role at that point when things started moving along in the typical sort of sense, like booking shows yeah. and, and so, touring. Um, there's a concept in social psychology called social loafing, where when people have an understanding that other people are taking care of a thing, they tend to just like retreat into the background and just like not do mm -hmm. a thing. So my, my level of engagement and responsibility and whatever is contextual. I'm not the person that like rolls in and it's just like, all right, leadership. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm path of least resistance guy, but if I'm the person best suited to do a certain thing and it has to get done, then I'll do it. So like in, in Gaza, you know, uh, John was very much a guy like that of the, I'm in charge. Look at me. I'm going to run everything for one reason or another. I won't, I'm not going to psychoanalyze that, but um, at a certain point, he just stopped doing any of it while at the same time he was on the hook for it. So nothing was getting done. And not only was nothing getting done, like we were like abdicating and like failing on like, responsibilities because he was just like i don't know what happened but like he just stopped answering messages he stopped sending out merch orders he stopped doing anything in any kind of proactive way whatsoever and so at a certain point that got outsourced largely to me 
Mm. And it was during the MySpace era. By the way, MySpace was terrific. Um, Amen. At least as, as far as like being in a band and, tr- and trying to go DIY, the most incredible resource that has existed to this day. Um, like, I, I don't know what your audience is. That's uh, one of the questions of rhetoric or whatever. But um, for, assuming that these are people that you know, are kind of lifers like us, uh, you probably already know but that you, but in MySpace, you could go in to a search uh, query and you could enter a zip code, range of zip code, genre of bands, and you could uh, find venues. So you could find any it's amazing community you needed to find anywhere in the country, any time of day. And so, like booking booking a tour was you set up your your itinerary uh, or your routing or whatever your hopeful routing, the, the outline of it, and you just put help book this uh milwaukee yeah. chicago indianapolis cincinnati you know, whatever it is uh and then you and then you jump into the search thing and you just find every band that looks like it's even remotely uh equipped to help you know maybe like maybe they're like minds maybe they're similar genre or similar genre enough you can contact venues directly. You you cut promoters out of the process. You didn't need promoters, and everybody was like into this metalcore thing, and like everything was popping. So there was no shortage of people to talk to, no shortage of people to go to shows. And so, you, like for a while, Gaza booked these like weird tours, weird tours in the Midwest because we had one week or we had two weeks to tour, and we were going to Indianapolis and coming back. And it's just like, well, we have to for, if we have two weeks this is our routing we'll just maximize it we'll play a show every day but how do you find two weeks of shows between here and indianapolis like you gotta play the weird like z uh z market market. (laughs) yeah um so like i'm like i pulled some shit and i'm like proud of it and and that's kind of where it all started um playing iowa city and uh dyke and oh god i mean you play three colorado shows you play in pueblo fort collins maybe denver no we we played we played denver, denver um because uh ethan now of primitive man uh was and remains uh just like the best um in, in any case um yeah i i just had to pick up the responsibility so i did and i enjoyed it and then when all that garbage went down with Gaza and Gaza ended. It was just like, I was inheriting, like, it was just like, I was already well-versed. I was already like the intermediary between, um, when, while Gaza still existed, I basically booked the shows that our booking agent couldn't or didn't care to book. Cause he, mm-hmm. he handled more of like the major market, like ABCs, uh, and like, promoter like the pro stuff but if we need to book a house show if we needed to play some weird city that he had no contacts in like batter up time to go and i love that stuff like i love i love just like digging out these weird shows and these like spots where people like how did you do how did you play there that doesn't make um so like that became like my niche uh and then over the years uh i don't know i've i've lost some interest and i now worry that i i'm somewhat doing what was uh 
I don't know, I guess I kind of burned out and whatever. And uh, anyway, yeah, the, the long, the, the short answer to your question is it had to be done. Um, and I'm in a band uh, in Cult Leader anyway, that the three members that came from Gaza it was me and then two introverts. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I was already doing the booking, so it was just like simple. And then Sam was like the junior member, the associate member. Uh, so it wouldn't make a lot of sense to like hand that off to him. Although he's been doing more and more of that stuff and doing more of our social media. And now we're like, you know, we've been a band for seven years now, which is weird. Um, but now it's spread out more and, and whatever. The role, the roles are defined, you know, Anthony's doing a lot of art. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mike, he's basically the tech he, the guitar yeah. and car. And he's just, the, he's tech. just the workhorse of like, yeah. I mean, really none of it could work without those two. I mean, you could probably take care of my, uh, extracurricular roles, um, fairly easy and or Sam's, but like Mike is the starting point of all the songs. Like I have to, I, I have to write to him. Um, yeah, he, he financed the vehicle that we have. He repairs it. So he owns the van and the trailer. He drives it. Like, even if Sam and I wanted to drive equal parts, he probably wouldn't let us. Cause ah. he, he's like, he's the car whisperer. Like he can just no joke, no joke. It's like some shamanic stuff. He like just feels the steering wheel or like puts his hand on the dash or like, and he just knows something's wrong. It is the weirdest thing. It's like watching a dog when a storm is coming or something and you don't know it yet. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Um, Let's pay attention to uh, Arlo. I don't know why. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> something, it's dogs acting weird. You know, I don't know why. And then something happens and just like, that's weird. I don't even, I can't even conceive of how they knew about this thing, but yeah. yeah. I can't remember what it was exactly like when, cause there was a time I, I can't remember for what tour that you guys were doing, you know, cause I'll, you know, scroll Facebook uh, and then I'll see a, a post from either you or cult leader when it's obvious it's you, because I just know how you write. <laughs> but I'm like, huh, Casey, when I grew up with you, you didn't strike me as either like a go-getter or an entrepreneur by any means. But like here you are, like you're you're hyping, you're 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 putting together flyers. I remember you making a comment that like, yeah, I put together this flyer, like just offhand, and like, wow, that is awesome, but I didn't expect it from you. So like, would you be surprised at yourself now? Like, you know, 17-year-old Casey looking at, you know, 35 year old Casey, as far as like the roles that you've taken and things that you learned through music. As a 17 year old, I don't know that I thought about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, I think that's part of what I'm paying for today is I lived a little too in the moment and just did not care about things I didn't care about. Like it just didn't, like I just did whatever I felt like and did not think about, you know, another lifetime uh, from then what I could do to this, that, or the other. Um, 
I don't know. Um, and on the topic of like making flyers and promoting and stuff, like, again, it's just like, I, I've done those things just because I thought they had to be done and no one else was going to do it. And I don't, I don't, I don't believe in asking people to do things that you're capable of doing or capable of learning, um, or, and aren't willing to fairly compensate. So on the topic of flyers or, or promoting for that matter, um, like I know what I like and what I don't like and hell or high water. It is what it is. And yeah. early in like cult leaders, whatever, I tried to have some people make me some flyers and I just was like aghast at, I just like didn't understand what I was receiving. Mm-hmm but I couldn't tell them what to do because I didn't know what I was doing and I don't want to bark orders at people and they're providing me a free service because I'm not going to like, this is a cash dry thing. This is DIY. Like you're lucky if you get 50 bucks for a thing. Um, and if I'm not going to pay them and I'm not going to use their stuff, I have to do it because I'm the only one that like whatever my weird standards are, I'm the only one that knows what my, what I'm visualizing, even if I have no idea how to get from A to Z. Um, so I, I just crashed into it. And, and like, I don't like make great flyer. Like I like the work I, I do, but it's not, it's very like get the job done. Like John yeah. Stockton. Uh, one of the things you love about John Stockton is that like, yeah, he could probably do all that wrap around like misdirection crazy stuff. And he did it sometimes, but he just like got it done. He just like knew the offense. Yeah. He just got the ball where it had to go. There was no like bells and whistles about it. Um, and so that way I would, I would say my work is Stocktonian. Uh, I love is, it. But, um, but that was just arrived at through, again, just given all of those criteria it's like, oh, I guess I have to do this. So I'll just work on this eight hours every night to make those like for a week to make the simplest, like, wait, this took you how long? Um, Cause it had to be done. Um, and, and like with promoting too, like if you're going to be a DIY band, like you got to return favors. Um, not just like on the like nuts and bolts of it, but like on the right and wrong of it. Like someone does you a favor, like, someone does something right by you, you do right, you do right by them. And, yeah. you know, hopefully in that process, it's a band that also is like, you can back as like, no, this isn't just because of like, we're friends or a, a series of favors. Like, it's like, no, you should see this band. Uh, Cause yeah. it's worth your time. It's an, it'll be an enriching experience, but like, I'm not going to outsource that to a promoter because promoters, that's their, income and there's not enough money there's not enough money to pay a promoter there's not enough money to pay a sound guy there's unless half the time there's not enough money to pay the venue like there's no money to go around and and if there's anybody that should get the the money it should be the musicians and i don't know if people know this but but musicians are the last people in the line to get paid and that is horseshit and I refuse to participate in that. Um, so if I can find a house and an all ages spot, that's not going to price gouge me, which by the way, 
it's tough with all these venues. They have to pay bills. They don't have other revenue streams. It's just a tough, tough thing. Um, But if you can find some, you just have to find something cheap and that isn't so far off in like BFE that like people aren't going to go to the show. So like in Salt Lake, we've had the good fortune of uh, in recent, more recent years, God, it's now been six years, seven years, but Diabolical Records um, has been like the pulse of DIY music in the city because they have all ages shows. They have their own revenue stream that's not taking money from the door. They've built a community. They've built a culture. And even though like it's not an ideal space, it's not an ideal sound equipment, it doesn't matter as much because all of these other things are taken care of. And I've tried to give an, I've tried to give them money because if everything goes well and there's money to share, it should be shared. I, I don't want that. I don't yeah. want to be misconstrued here. But like, if there is a hundred dollar pot, I'm not paying three hundred dollars to a sound guy. I'm not giving fifty percent to the like. You just yeah. pay the band. So, in, in this, so I, I did a show with Diabolical years ago, and it you know went well, well enough that there was like three or four hundred dollars in donations, in donations. The next, yeah, yeah, that's and they cool. passed around the pot. They let us use their space. They let us use their PA. It went well, and it's like, yeah, they deserve fifty bucks. Can you just like take fifty bucks, please? Because you, this wouldn't have been possible. And they would, they refused to take any money whatsoever. Um, yeah. So shout out to them because, um, like, live DIY live music in Salt Lake City would not. I'm not going to go so far as to say it would not be viable, but it would be, we would be in the dark ages without it because when we don't have a spot like that, we are in a dark age. Like, and I don't know, you know, how many people here know much about the, the history of Salt Lake City music and all of that stuff. But like, there are these dry spells where people don't come through because there's nothing to come through to from 2000. What was it? When was that poison the well show? Um, and hate breed oh three yeah so i was still in high school then yeah yeah yeah. so from then until i don't even know 2011 2012 so for about 10 years all ages venues legit all ages venues would not have heavy bands play because they Mm -hmm. had to be so careful about their liability and their business getting shut down or destroyed or god knows what that they just had to be like Hey, uh, I don't, I don't know if you're going to bring an element to this, to our, our establishment that will be a problem for us. So we can't have heavy, heavy bands. So like we had to like run house shows. We had, you just have to do anything you could or, you know, deviate, had to pick it up bricks, whatever. But they had to go through the same like assessment. Like, is this worth the trouble? How much security are we going to have to hire it? Like so on and so forth. So heavy music was in my opinion, was basically dead from a DIY perspective for about 10 years. Um, and so, I mean, having a, having a spot like Diabolical that achieves so many criteria and because they don't have all those overhead costs, they can get away with doing donations. And because they have a community and a culture, people actually pay. Like, it's just things like that are are quite literally priceless because you can't like, it's so hard to have any kind of consistent 
um, touring acts or like, or spots for like, you know, we, we started talking about being in Davis County in high school and uh, just like starting our weird shitty bands or whatever. Like those weird shitty bands need places to play to like get better yeah. and to meet other people Absolutely. and to like, and, it, and if everything is just like price gated or just gated otherwise, it just makes the barriers to entry so difficult. And like, we love music more as much or more because of all of the tertiary things, the community and the, and so it, it, I just, I'm, it's important to me that everyone have that opportunity to, if they take to it, either as a, as a listener or a, or as a musician, we'll just call it a participant, um, to, to have that opportunity. Um, so that's my spiel about diabolical, diabolical records in Salt Lake. And I don't even remember how we got here, but, oh, uh, booking shows, making art, yeah. whatever. It's really, it's very easy with a place like Diabolical. Yeah. And I remember, cause you're talking about, you know, I don't want to call it like gatekeeping by, by any means, but like, I remember I was trying like my room, trying to play like Kilby. Kilby Court, like I'm, I'm so glad Kilby Court is still around, even like during COVID. Who knows for how long it can be, but um, you know, that was trying to get in there. That was work, mm -hmm. you know. That was like a lot of convincing. And then you've got places in Provo like Valor, which is ultra gatekeep. Like that's like the epitome of gatekeeping, you know. I mean, I'm gonna throw shade, but uh, <laughs> but you know, somewhere like Diabolical or even like little little places like. Boomva. I don't know if you remember that noggin, oh, but just wow. these little like tiny yeah. like that. That's such an opportunity for for bands to, to get going. And you know, I only have a couple. I have a couple questions left, but like uh, you know, talking about the industry and money going to musicians and uh, a, a big topic right now is like the role of record labels and Spotify and, and all that. And you you've had some experiences with uh, black market. I believe. Correct me if I got that wrong. No, yeah, black market activities. Yeah, yeah um, back in the day. Uh, Metal, Metal Blade, and now Deathwish, which is like the ultimate like tastemaker, and Jacob Bannon like runs it. You know, like so. What what do you see are the benefits of being in that world, um, especially with the experiences that you've had right now? It, um, yeah, like what, what would you say? Well, uh, I think you hit on a vein by mentioning. I guess the, the concept of taste making because like back when the standard record contract was written and um, st standard, the record label, I mean, we talk about gatekeeping. You didn't, DIY couldn't exist. Um, they, they controlled everything. So of course they're going to take uh, all of the profits until you recoup the expenses of recording promotion that which uh then you only get 12 percent uh salt and pepper went bankrupt uh in the early or mid 90s uh yeah. and I, I believe at that time they had sold several million records like the music industry is i, I don't i'm not going to go so far as to say evil i'd like to reserve that for special special um real evil. real evil stuff which we're seeing on full display these days in a uh in a way that uh it's kind of unprecedented just at, at how easy it is to find now um well 
I, I, I don't know if Will Smith, Will Smith actually is the, uh, the person who, where this quote originates from, but he popularized it, but that, uh, racism isn't getting worse. It's getting filmed. Anyway, we're now in, in the, that fails. Um, but the music industry is, uh, <sighs> maybe it's just not fair. It's definitely not fair. In a traditional, I'll tell, situation. I'll tell you the, I can't say that word. I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell you the word I'm trying not to say is slavery, but if, if, and I know that's incorrect, but I, I indentured servitude, um, yeah. like it's wild. Like a, a record label could just say, oh, we spent $50,000 in duplication, recording costs, mastering and promotion. And so out of the 12% of your royalties, you have to pay us $50,000 out of 12% of profits before you get any money from us, despite that you made this. The last, I, the last people paid, whether it's a show, whether it's, I've never received a royalties check to this day. And I don't, I, I don't feel like particularly like exploited. That's, I guess that's the word I'm looking for. Um, because like I play a niche thing, like our, our, uh, our thesis statement boils down to, we dare you to listen to this. So like, yeah, but it still feels weird. Um, mm -hmm. and at this point I just feel like it is what it is because the money the pool of money is just not what it used to be. But back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, you're telling me you can't pay musicians? Back when like artists were routinely hitting gold and platinum rock musicians. Like that was the main genre. That's just it's mm -hmm. wild. Anyway, um, so taste making. What labels do now is different than what they used to do because what they used to do was make people listen. They made it happen. They got you on radio. They got you on the, they made it happen because the infrastructure has changed and it's decentralized. Labels don't have as much power as they used to, to mm -hmm. create, to, to, to force people to listen to their product. So now they only take, they don't take chances uh, as much as they used to. It's a lot more solo acts, it, like as far as the majors go. And they do so much like work to make sure that it's a can't miss prospect. Whereas they had so much money at one point, they could just like sign a million bands and then uh, cut 900,000 bands. Cause they would just like, uh, we'll just seed it. We'll see what takes. And, but uh, anyway, I, I'm getting a field as I usually do. Hopefully you can edit this up and make it cohesive. But taste making, like given that we are weird, <laughs> um, uh, it's, a, it's very niche. It's, um, yeah, I don't know. Again, kind of like dare you to listen to it instead of like, uh, try to catch you with honey. Um, I know that there's not that much uh, opportunity to make money. Um, 
And so if there's not opportunity to make money, it doesn't make sense for a major or, or anything approaching a major to invest their resources. And their ability to make it happen is diminished because of everything I just mentioned. So what's important is finding a home mm-hmm. where the, the, it's not as hard to sell to your people um, as it would for another label. And that's the biggest thing, honestly. Um, and Death Wish, you know, I, Black Market, we, we had a fringe relationship with, with Metal Blade. We almost got signed by them, and then they backed out at the last minute. Uh, this is with Gaza. Um, because they thought they signed too many tech metal bands at the time. And I guess we were too much like into the moat or something, which especially in hindsight is like, okay, well, good thing, you know, your own product, I guess. Um, but like we had, we had really good rapport with them. Um, and they, but, uh, black market activities had distribution through metal blade. So when they, when we broke off talks with metal blade, black market stepped in. And for a while, we had that home with Black Market because they had, I mean, for a minute there, their roster was like banging. And with some notable asterisks, would still back to this day. Ed Gein, architect, they get an asterisk. Um, <laughs> they're, 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 I shouldn't throw shade right now. Uh, but they were a great band. Um, the network and, and some other things like it felt like, Oh, cool. This is a branded thing for lack of a better word. This is yeah. like easy sell for all of these different bands. It fell apart. We were like the last man standing in a manner of speaking. Um, and he had run out of money. He had run out of drive to run the late. So I just death wish basically stepped in and saved the last Gaza record. Cause we were still under contract and black market was not going to let us out. Um, so Deathwish basically worked behind the scenes and threw a bunch of money to make it happen because they are tremendous people. And yeah. they didn't... I can't even remember what they took from all of, the, of that. I think they got like 600 of a particular colorway and that was like their compensation for doing... I, I don't even know what, but I know it wouldn't have happened yeah. without them. And then when Gaza ended... Uh, yeah, cult. I mean, we, we ended up on Death Wish just because we have, not just because, but largely because um, we have a relationship with Jake Bannon. Uh, for those that aren't like up to speed on everything um, from Converge, who's one of the co owners of the label. And he, like, when we started, we just recorded a demo. We, it, was a very, it was a very literal DIY operation. We were just playing local shows. We made a demo. It ended up being our first release, like the same recording. We weren't sure if we were going to release it or if it was going to be a demo, but we just did our best with uh, a lot of money. And shout out to Wes because he, it was a shoestring budget. He probably should have been paid more. Um, but that's what music is, is a bunch of people doing work that, yeah. should, that they should be paid more for. Um, <laughs> right. Anyway, uh, but Jake was just 
awesome about it. Like Mike just like hit him up on Facebook one night. He was like, Hey, we got a debt. We got this thing. It's not mastered yet. Maybe it was mastered, but it was like at that stage, we had no idea what we were doing with it. Um, and sent it to him and he got back to us the next morning was just like, yeah, the doors are open. Anything you need. Just like, what? <laughs> this is bullshit. This is not fair. <laughs> this, this is not, this is way too. We, easy. we should have had to like eat more shit. Uh, to get to this point, but all of that is to say that um, Death Wish has always been great to us and fair and above board and transparent and all of the things that you hope to have from both a friendship and with a business relationship. They, they've just been um, great. And uh, at this point, we just take it record by record. But uh, yeah, yeah we're, we're just... Yeah, always very real with each other and, and whatever, and it's great. But taste making, um, path of least resistance. Like if you don't have to like grind yourself down to make it work and to succeed, and you can just like make partnerships that make sense. That's the that's the way you got to do it now. Um, and so we we've, we've been very fortunate in um, in our in our luck that way. So last question, and it's, and it's a simple yet not question. It's what, what's next? Wow. Uh, COVID. Uh, <laughs> um, That's what's next. I, 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 <laughs> until, it's, until it's resolved in the now or until we, we, until we know when it will be resolved, it is the next thing in perpetuity. Um, but I guess the, the, the most accurate answer is that, so uh, we were supposed to do a tour in Europe uh, in April of this year. Obviously, uh, the world ended. When, yeah. it, was, it was paused. The world was paused. And that was like the apex of the, of the pausing. And so that tour had to be canceled slash postponed um it was uh built around going to roadburn and so uh the way that roadburn is dealing with this is they're just pushing the whole operation back one year same lineup same whatever nice and clean so we're booked for that uh we don't have a tour booked but the idea is to, to book a, a tour around it but we don't have a vaccine we don't know when we're going to have a vaccine. I'm hopeful that we're going to have it by the end of the year. I, I keep hearing these like positive things, but like until we have it, we don't have it. Um, but the hope is that we'll have that. Um, and we're starting to, um, Mike's sending us some riffs over text message that are banging and some sad ones, which I also consider banging because that's, more my level and it has been for a long time is I want to be wrecked with uh, bummer vibes more than rage vibes. And it reflects increasingly with each cult leader record. And I'm cool with it. Even though I like what I listened to, especially our last record, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> this is, this is like an unwritten law record. Um, I don't know why I mentioned them, except I remember what I heard whatever record it was like 2000 i was just like this band this isn't a, this isn't a band that just like 
this is the punk one. This is the radio one. This is the love song. And it's like, you're not, you're not real. You're not real. You're, you're false. <laughs> anyway. Um, but, uh, all these written law. If they hear that. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I'm just gonna, oh, sorry oh no, I'm law. pissed off. Unwritten law. Ah! Um, no, uh, no, no shade was intended to be thrown. It's, I, I'm speaking as though this isn't being recorded and, and sent out later, but who cares? <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so I'm hoping that we get together to start writing soon uh, with no expectations. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, everything is so thrown into disarray, I think, for so many people in so many ways um, that it's even like changing my perspective on what I want out of this band. Like, we've all kind of agreed that like this band will probably never officially break up because if you have intentions of even sparsely playing shows, even sparsely putting out releases, like why, like yeah. there's, there's an answer to that question, but it's money. Yeah. Like the, the breakup. Income yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, the yes, no, I like if you're breaking up, like don't, don't, don't pull that crap with people. Um, but that, but that's like a, also a great sense of security. And, and like, you know, we, we talked about this earlier, but like I have every intention of playing until I'm in a casket or not in a casket. I don't believe in casket, but <laughs> the, uh, the figure of speech stands. Um, so outside of that, I'm not positive. Um, this other project I'm in sympathy pain with Skyler Hitchcock. That's more what I've been working on over the summer. And uh, we almost have a full length done. And this would truthfully be my first contribution in a recording effort. I did some, um, some like fringe things on a split uh, that got released in 2018. Like just some little touches, a couple of riffs here and there, some uh, ambient sound stuff. But it was not like, I was not in an active uh, songwriting kind of role, and I even and I even um, I even feel uncomfortable saying songwriting because what we're trying to do right now is write uh, almost like an I don't know I, I don't even know what words I'm trying to orchestra like an orchestral thing or like a score where like a movement or yeah where you have yeah. instead of like here's this song with these parts, here's song, this song with these parts, Here, you know, it's just like a whole bunch of songs. We're trying to write something that will fit on one LP. So we have like a time range that we're trying to hit. But besides that, and the, our general kind of like knowing how we play together, not knowing how to do it, we just kind of feel it and we're going. Um, so uh, different like little like riffs or parts in one movement are in other parts of the movement. Like, um, I don't know if they're, they're themes as much as like just little pieces throughout that kind of find themselves in different contexts. And we create a bunch of different contexts. You could say it has six songs, maybe, mm. uh, on like a CD or a digital release. Maybe it'll end up being that way, but we're, we're thinking of it as a side A side B. Um, mm. but just, kind of there's not an end 
were a beginning. It just kind of all rides a wave. It just, each part kind of goes wherever it's going to go. And I'm, I don't want to talk about it too much or reveal too much. Cause I know we only have, only have so much time and I would fail anyway, but I'm quite excited about it. Um, cause it's, it's unusual, but in a way that's new, like I would be happy showing this to anybody. Um, cause I think it, it's like musical, even if it's like in a lot of ways deconstructed or ambient, somewhat formless. Um, it can be in the background. You can listen to it in the foreground. You can pick out the nuggets. You can like, it's just its own thing. And one day, this is what I was hoping 2020 would be actually. And then COVID hit since this is different than heavy music where you have to find venues or somewhere that can handle the power load and the volume and the right community and the right weirdos that want to listen to it. Like I'm excited to like play something resembling consonant music <laughs> because now the world is open. Like we could yeah. play art galleries. We could play any like just about any place with a power source. So I want to play like, uh, like national parks, towns, college towns. Like I just want to use the band as a vehicle to like go to new places and have totally different experiences. Well, not totally different experiences, but similar experiences in totally different contexts, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I want to go to Jackson hole and play three shows at, you know, we'll play, play a show at a bar, play a show at an art gallery, play it, you know, go to Grand Teton and Yellowstone for a couple of days, go to Preston, Idaho, which is a college town in a red state, but go. a college town nonetheless. And that matters. Yep. Moab, uh, Springdale, Tory, Ephraim, Ephraim, maybe Utah. Ephraim. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, cause I want to, I want to see the world and seeing the world. Isn't just seeing like all the tourist spots. It's not just seeing all the major cities. It's seeing like the nooks and the crannies of everywhere. And they're, they're endless. And I, I like as much as anything about music, that's, um, what I cherish, uh, as much or more than anything else is being able to be in those experiences. Like it's why I honestly just gun to my head. You ask me like a, a show with a promoter and a guarantee and like all the, like, those are great. I love them. It's nice to be able to go in and like, know you're going to get paid. Know you're going to have good sound. Like it's great. But the experiences I cherish most, most often are playing like house shows and playing like record stores and playing like those places and having like intimate experiences with people and the, I, the occasional oddball city where people like, like where it's just like head scratching that anyone that a band like this is playing in this place. Like I want more of that. So hopefully yeah. in some way, shape or form, whether it's cult leader or sympathy pain yeah. or whatever it is, I hope I get to have yeah. more of that. Well, I think that's a great place to, to leave off. Yeah. So it was, it was, uh, it was, it was awesome talking to you. I'm glad uh, this podcast is a great way to 
uh, sneak some conversations in with people that I miss and in respect and love. And you're one of those people. So thanks for giving me your, your time and uh, back to real life we go, I suppose, right? Likewise, Matt. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, please do whatever you have to do to make this listenable. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm sorry that I just, wow. It's just how I. Oh, I, I knew what I was getting. Yeah, at. I guess you did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, I, I got to run too. So thanks a lot. And uh, I'll, I'll catch up with you. All right. Later. Sounds good. See you, buddy. All right. Bye. Bye. Let's go!